Mediatrix Radio presents Pathways to Rome, a weekly hour-long journey that brings Rome home for you. Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Gus Kilo and Kathy Kerfoot, take us on an audio tour of the Vatican where every work of art, building, and liturgical event is a unique expression of Christianity. The center of the Catholic faith teaches while it inspires, but there's a lot to learn. So let's join our tour guides for this week's apologetic adventure. Welcome to Pathways to Rome, the show that brings Rome home to you. It is Lent. We're in the season of Lent. Lent, of course, is the uh, 40 days of preparation for Easter. It's a season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. I'm here in the studio with Kathy Kerfoot, and in Rome, we have Father Jeff Kirby. Hello, guys. Hey, Gus. Yes, I'm Gus Killo. Forgot to say that. Today, we're going to be talking about Lenten practices. Uh, We're going to be asking Father about what's going on in Rome, um, what the Pope is doing, how he celebrated Ash Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't we start off by talking about some Lenten practices. We're going to start with Kathy here, pick on her, and uh, just find out, you know, during the season of Lent, Kathy, what do you guys do at your home? Well, we do, of course, our own individual, whether we give up something or whether we choose to add something to our prayer life or our family time together. One thing we're doing as a family is I received in the mail a little booklet. I think it was from Food for the Poor, but it had a scripture reading for each day and then an activity that you could do that went with that scripture reading, whether it be to do some kind of charity or some sweet thing for somebody and not let them know about that it was you doing it. So each day there's a a little gospel reading and an, an activity to do, but it's always something positive and always something always something good and uplifting. And then personally for me, we have two new priests at our parish, and they have just started Holy Hour before Mass and the Blessed Sacrament exposed every day. So I've been going to that. And so that is what I plan to do throughout the 40 days of Lent is make sure I get there as often as possible, if oh, not every day. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, so wow. I'm real happy about that. My philosophy has always been, I think Oscar Wilde said it very well, I can resist anything but temptation. Uh, <laughs> so Lent for me is uh, trying to really make a, make an effort to resist some of the temptations on the physical side, uh, eating and all the other good things that we have, cutting back on that and all that. And I make sure that our, that each of the boys tells me, you know, hey, what are, what are you doing for Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? What are you going to do positively? Like you said, you were doing something positive. Um, one thing we definitely do is we try to say the Stations of, of the Cross on Friday, Fridays of Lent. And here in the upstate, we, we're beginning the Lenten version of 40 Days for Life. So part of what we do as a family is actually sign up and go to the local abortion clinic and actually pray outside and pray a rosary with uh, with others during the 40 days. It's a, it's that's definitely something positive. Very positive. Giving up your time, but uh, yeah. but showing, you know, standing up for life. And uh, it's amazing how many people have started coming to this. I think the 40 days has really taken off. I know that many Catholics are involved with it, but uh, that is a, a wonderful thing to do. Very good. And unite. So that's another thing we do. Now, are you asking your boys what they're doing for Lent so that you can encourage them in that? 
Well, I figure they don't have a spiritual director, so, <laughs> so I'm their spiritual director for, Very for good, now. But, as you should be. But it, it helps if one of them gave up playing video games or something, and I see him, I say, I can remind him gently and say, mm. hey, didn't you give that up? And uh, <laughs> we, we keep ourselves motivated. It's like athletes, you know, spurring each other on. We're, we're spurring each other on. So. Yeah, that reminds me, because on Ash Wednesday, when we were fasting, the kids and I had soup and sandwiches for dinner, and then without even thinking, one of my sons went up to make himself ice cream after dinner, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and my one son came to me and said, Mom, you're allowing him to do that? I didn't even <laughs> notice. It didn't occur to me, and I'm like, right. you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that on days of fasting. <laughs> right, right. Yep, exactly. Well, I like to joke and say I'm so bad at fasting that I, I go to elance.com and outsource it to someone overseas, <laughs> but but no, uh, fasting's a good thing. We Father, we don't we don't have fasting the way we used to. Uh, no. You know, uh, it's certainly loosened uh, a little bit. Now we only have two days of, of obligatory fasting, and wow, I can I can tell that I would make a, a very bad pre-Vatican II Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> My father still gives up meat every Friday. I mean, that's the way he grew up. But also he says, I don't have a problem with that because he loves seafood. Yeah. So, you know, it's easy for him. Same as my, uh, my uh, in-laws in New England. They, everybody oh. up there loves seafood. Lobster. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I tell you for myself with with Lent, it's it's great to hear what both of you are doing and, and your families. And what I particularly like is is both of you kind of addressed the you know that during Lent we not only give things up, but we also should seek to do things that deepen in our faith. And as many of our listeners know, and Kathy, you and Gus know, one of my responsibilities here in Rome is is to study. And I tell you, it, it is so difficult sometimes to sit at a desk. Oftentimes, you know, I want to take a study break, you know, every 40 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, during Lent, I really have been disciplining myself with that and, and trying to use the time at my desk to offer intentions. You know, one of the things that mm. we weigh so often is our suffering, mm-hmm. you know, our right. difficulties. And, and so trying to remind myself that, you know, when I sit at my desk for 40 minutes and I want to take a study break and sit, no, I to focus on what I'm doing and, and pay more attention and so on. You know, that 40 minutes of study I can offer for someone, Absolutely. you know, a, a friend, a loved one, someone who might be uh, having difficulty and so on, you know. And so for my for myself, this Lent is, is a time of real focusing, whereas maybe other Lents have been in a time of purification or a time for, you know, self-sacrifice. This one really is more of interior focusing. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's amazing how every year Lent can take on such a different environment or such a different focus or a different sense or spirit for each one of us. I mean, imagine that last year compared to this one. I mean, have you seen a difference in your discipleship? Since we moved to South Carolina, I think our spirituality as a family has deepened. We've been here a little over six years now, and, and every year I think it deepens. I think we have a, a great parish and a great parish priest, and he really puts a lot of emphasis on, on doing things right. And, and I do... Father, I do see us uh, every year coming around to the same place, but but we're up a little higher than we were. It's like we're circling up the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I like the way you Isn't put it? that. It's circling up the mountain. Uh, it seems sometimes that we're a little bit stagnant, but we are making progress every day. And I feel the same as Gus. We've lived here for, I think, 13 years now. Mm. And my husband came into the church about eight years ago. I see us as a family, the two of us, um, becoming more spiritual, and with that, bringing our children along with us. It's very good to have both partners in the same faith. It certainly has been a building of faith for our entire family. 
And isn't it so oftentimes the case that sometimes the best progress that we see in our discipleship is exactly when we realize how much we have regressed in the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few uh, months ago, someone was saying to me, Lent is uh, my Christian tax time. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, what, what, what do you mean? You know, every tax season I look and I, and I see what I've bought. And I realized, man, I can't believe I spent that much money on this thing or that much money on that thing, you know. And so that's what Lent is. Lent is like Christian tax time. <laughs> and I thought that was so well expressed because it is. Like, what a blessing every year to have this season where we just stop and say, where am I at with the Lord? Well, mm-hmm. but, but Lent is supposed to be a joyous season. I can tell you that tax time is not joyous <laughs> for me. <laughs> but, but I definitely say the assessment, you know, assessing where your finances are, assessing right, uh, exactly. your spiritual walk and, and how you are following the gospel. So even though Lent is supposed to be joyful, it's joyful at the very end, um, but it is taxing all the way through. So, Father, you said you're uh, doing Lent with a purpose and it's more spiritual and interior and you're, you're saying, I'm going to offer this for someone. Well, this year, I am the confirmation sponsor of a friend of mine who had not been confirmed. I'm actually able to actually focus on Easter together with him and have him be uh, one of my apostolates, so to speak, of prayer, etc. Uh, you know, being able to focus on Easter. So, so looking forward to Easter, keeping your eyes on the prize, so to speak, will make Lent very meaningful, I think. Well, I think it's beautiful in the entire liturgical reform that we've seen uh, the positive aspects of that reform is that really this Easter aspect of Lent has been restored, whereas maybe it wasn't as prominent uh, in the past. What we find now is, is a very strong sense in the Church that these 40 days of Lent really are a time when, in particular, the catechumens are preparing for baptism, mm-hmm. but also the entire Church shares spiritually in that preparation that we also are preparing for Easter, for this incredible celebration the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that's, that's what you're saying, and that there is a spirit of joy, even as I realize, well, I'm not praying as I'm supposed to be. My faith has weakened. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been slacking in attending Mass. I, I have not been attentive to my spiritual life. That even as we can soberly accuse ourselves of these things during this Lenten season, in the midst of that, there's a joy because we're preparing for this awesome celebration when God destroyed the kingdom of sin and death forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the joy of Lent. Yeah. And that's the joy that we're trying to prepare ourselves for, particularly as members of the baptized. And I think that, that Easter aspect of Lent is so important and so helpful to each of us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm doing another thing that's very similar to what Gus is doing. My daughter's boyfriend is coming into the church this Easter and she wants us to come up to Wisconsin to be there for the Easter vigil when he comes into the church. I talked to her the other day and I said, really want to make sure that he knows exactly what he's doing and, and he's doing this for the right reasons. And so I've started sending him things on the Eucharist, um, which, of course, is the summit of our faith. I just want him to, to really know what he's doing and, and have that tremendous joy and, and really understand the miracle of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's my little catechism I'm doing um, yeah. for him, but he will come into the church this Easter. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Oh, very good. Haven't we all seen in our discipleship that, especially in the Lenten season, when people are seeking fullness uh, in the Christian faith, in the Catholic Church, that when we're able to be a part of that process and we're able to give our faith. And it's, I think sometimes the most beautiful aspect of our faith is that it not only 
changes us, desires to change us, but that it also really overflows into a living fountain to others. Mm-hmm. And especially during Lent, what a beautiful Lenten penance, beautiful alms to give this faith which has been given to us. Yeah, and that's what we're called to do, to do is to share that joy which we have. I noticed that, that there are a whole lot more people at Ash Wednesday Mass, which wasn't even a holy day of obligation, than uh, than most other Sundays of the year. Uh, it seems that a lot of people who maybe aren't normal, regular churchgoers see this as something important. I mean, everybody wants to come and get ashes and admit, hey, I'm a sinner, because that's what you're doing when you're putting the ashes on. So. Exactly. Father, did the Pope celebrate Ash Wednesday at St. Peter's Basilica? Actually, the Pope decided just not to celebrate Lent this year. <laughs> yeah. no. I don't think so. <laughs> Thanks for the bulletin, no. then. <laughs> That's right. Now, I actually might actually believe that if they were to have gone to St. Peter's for Ash Wednesday Mass, because in observance of an ancient tradition, uh, the Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, actually went to Santa Sabina, which is on the Aventine Hill uh, here in Rome, mm-hmm. in order to celebrate uh, Ash Wednesday Mass. Now, First, let me tell you about the Holy Father's schedule on Ash Wednesday. Talk about a great start to Lent in regards to being able to offer things up. That the Holy Father began Ash Wednesday with his Wednesday audience. Every Wednesday, the Holy Father, when he's in Rome, meets with the faithful around 10.30 in the morning. He gives a brief catechesis, an explanation of, of some aspect of the faith, and then he offers prayers. So he kept that tradition on Ash Wednesday, gave a brief catechesis, and then later in the day, he went up to Santa Sabina in order to observe and celebrate the Ash Wednesday Mass. And some people say, why is the Pope going to this little church up on the Aventine Hill, one of the seven ancient hills of Rome? Why would he go up there uh, to celebrate this Mass? And it's a beautiful story. It goes all the way back to the early 13th century, when Pope Honorius III, that was his family estate. And he was so captivated by the young Dominican order which was being founded by St. Dominic at the time, that he gave his family estate to St. Dominic. And that's why Santa Sabina is the mother church, like the main church of the Dominican order. Hmm. And from that time on, the Pope always went to the mother church of the Dominican order from Pope Honorius on for Ash Wednesday to observe this feast day. And it's this incredible celebration, and he begins it with a solemn procession from St. Anselmo, all the way on to Santa Sabina. So there's a papal procession and then a celebration of the Ash Wednesday Mass. Now, the location is great because the Aventine Hill in Rome is a old kind of meditative hill here in Rome. And in fact, there's an expression amongst the Italians when someone's really being agitated and they just seem like they have no peace. They say to one another here in Italy, in Rome, you need to take a walk up to Aventine. Uh-huh. Oh, really? And as a popular expression, means you need to chill out. <laughs> I like that. I like you know? and, uh, and so it's beautiful that we begin this Lenten season on this hill, which is noted for meditation and for peace. And that's where the Holy Father went on to celebrate Ash Wednesday to begin um, this season of, of penance, of purification. Father, when you talk about the Pope saying Ash Wednesday Mass, I just have a question, and it may sound silly to you, but... Where does the Pope get his ashes from? Does he give them to himself, or does somebody else give them to him? That's actually a, a really good question, because when I first came to Rome, I, I thought the same thing. It's like, you know, does the Pope wear ashes? Does he receive them from himself? I mean, does he impose ashes on himself, which would be kind of would seem kind of funny. But actually what happens is, during the Ash Wednesday Mass, after the homily 
after the ashes have been blessed, the Holy Father goes over to what's called the, the titular cardinal of Santa Sabina. And titular cardinal, that just means the patron cardinal. Every cardinal in the church, no matter where he's at, the United States, Africa, Asia, he has what's called a titular church. It means he's a patron of a particular church within Rome. And so the Holy Father goes over to the titular cardinal of Santa Sabina in order to receive ashes. And he receives ashes like any other member of the faithful throughout the church. So the Pope himself even receives ashes. And the titular cardinal of Santa Sabina right now is Cardinal Joseph Tomko. And so he imposed ashes on the Holy Father. But what's interesting is here in Italy, and, and actually Mediterranean Catholicism, they do not impose the cross on the forehead as the United States. They take the ashes and they sprinkle them on the person's head. Oh, wow. And I remember the first time I came here to Rome and I, and I went to school on Ash Wednesday and I had this big old black cross on my forehead. All the Mediterranean Catholics are like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a question I'm usually accustomed to Protestant Christians asking. You yeah, know? in South Carolina. And we hear these other Catholics saying, what are you doing? And say, well, it's Ash Wednesday. And they were just so surprised that we would observe Ash Wednesday like that. And, and of course, where we got that custom was from the Irish who came to the United States and, and were the culture who predominantly evangelized many of the Catholic groups uh, in the United States. So that custom of the black cross on the forehead is actually an Irish custom. It's not a universal custom in the Catholic Church. Hmm. Very neat. Well, I think it's very appropriate that we do it smack dab on our forehead here in the South so that we can evangelize. <laughs> Absolutely. What a witness. And, and particularly, you, know, you, you can imagine you know, going to work or being with your neighbors or even in your own family. And then someone sees the ashes, and hopefully they will ask if they don't know. And once they do know, once we are able to explain to them, these ashes are a sign that I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, at work, like, you know, you're tired of my impatience or my gossip or, you know, all, all my bad qualities. Like, I agree with you. Oh. That this cross <laughs> on my forehead is a reminder <laughs> that that sin is not me. And that cross that I'm wearing is a sign that the things you don't like in me, uh, I don't like, and I know that God doesn't like and I'm relying on his grace to change Ooh, me. That's, you know? that, that's pretty hardcore. I don't, I, I'm not sure I'd have the guts to say all that, but... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I wipe that off for you? Here's a tissue or, you know, something like that. <laughs> yep, yep. Spot the Catholic. <laughs> that's awesome. I have to tell you a little bit uh, about the Holy Father's Mass, Santa Sabina. The Holy Father gave a, a brief homily, which is customary for all priests during Ash Wednesday Mass. But the Holy Father, I have to tell you, in his typical way, just he strikes with a core. During his homily, the, the Holy Father went right to the Lord Jesus, and he said, you know, Jesus was the first one to observe 40 days of preparation. Yes, he was. He had 40 days in the desert getting ready for his mission. And then the Holy Father said, the faithful must pass through the desert themselves, that each of us must pass through the desert, and the desert is the test of faith. Yeah. Then he goes on to say, we don't do it alone. We're with Jesus. But he says the heart, the fundamental meaning of Lent, is precisely passing through that desert, the test of faith. And I think that is so to the heart of where we're at. Not simply the unbelievers who are around us, but I think even as believers, that we also struggle with faith. Not simply acknowledging the existence of God, not even necessarily trusting in God, but really allowing our faith our profession of faith in Jesus, to change our lives. Mm -hmm. That we say, I'm supposed to be patient. 
I'm an impatient person. I need to change. Yeah. I need to let God's grace change me so that I can be a better, a better and more patient person. And that's allowing faith to walk through that desert of faith. Because I want to be impatient. I want to get my way. I want these people to jump. But I've got to walk through that desert of sacrifice, of abnegation, of ordering this impatience. And that's, that really is the desert of faith. And I just thought, what a beautiful expression and summons really on the part of the Pope to each of us. And you're in that desert of faith right now trying to get your degree. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, sitting at this desk, oh man, does it sometimes feel like a desert? You know, yeah. This, yeah. this old priest told me years ago. He says, you know, you don't need sand to have a desert. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but isn't I, that so true. But I think you know we're talking about the forty days, but this is a lifetime. That walk is a lifetime. <laughs> a little more intense, maybe during the forty days. Yeah. I read something from Saint Alphonsus de Liguori uh, the other day saying. We're on this earth to gain merits. So no sitting around. Lent's a time to really start taking that seriously and realize uh, we need to follow in the footsteps, which were, of course, bloodied on Calvary. We have to follow in the bloody footsteps of Christ if we're going to be worthy of being his followers. And I think it's precisely the ongoing nature of our conversion and the fact that discipleship is a, is a journey that here in Rome, they have this incredible custom called the Station Churches. Mm-hmm. And it really is a very practical, real way of stressing that Lent is a journey, that our discipleship is a journey. Uh, certainly these 40 days of, of intensity during Lent, but also throughout the year, throughout our lives. And what the station churches are is, I mentioned Santa Sabina, where the Holy Father goes in order to begin Lent on Ash Wednesday. But every day after Ash Wednesday, for the entirety of Lent, there's a particular church here in Rome, oftentimes an ancient church, with venerable relics and and beauty and oftentimes these just very inspiring histories of events for people who have worked there, lived there, prayed there, treaties that have been signed there, battles that, that found peace accords there, and so on. Just this incredible, the whole history of, of our faith. And every day there's this Lenten station church. So, for example, Ash Wednesday was Santa Sabina. The day after Ash Wednesday, on Thursday, was St. George. Then it was St. John and Paul. And each day has this church, and it's a church in Rome where all the faithful are called to try to make a visit at that church. If they can attend Mass, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Or if they can go and pray a part of the Liturgy of the Hours, a set of psalms at a certain hour, it's wonderful. But even if they could just go in for two minutes and say a prayer. And when the church has its station day, it brings out all its relics. So all the relics of these great and influential and powerful saints are put out on display so that the faithful can come and pray. It goes back all the way to the 3rd century. Even it's argued by some that this actually even began before the legalization of Christianity. And then certainly in the 6th century, Pope Gregory the Great began to canonize, codify these station churches. And so it became the very custom, whether it be processions and these beautiful celebrations. Now what's amazing in our own day because in all those station churches, they stopped being observed, especially during the Avignon Papacy in the 1400s. And they just fell out of regular usage. The custom kind of died. But then at the beginning of the 20th century, Pope Leo XIII brought them back. And John the Twenty-Third in the 1950s really accentuated them in the life of the church. And then Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict have continued to observe them. So in one sense, we have this ancient, ancient tradition that has been revived within the last hundred years. It's a beautiful custom. 
I'd say even if the faithful cannot come to Rome and observe the station churches, you can go online and Google or check the station of the church, and anyone could follow along spiritually in these 40 days, these 40 station churches. Are there, are there any uh, any special indulgences or anything attached to visiting these churches during this time or anything or anything in Lent that we need to be aware of in that regard? Any member of the faithful who visits the station church, either in person or spiritually, can receive a partial indulgence, especially with the offering of, of particular prayers. But also during Lent, it's important to remind ourselves that on the Fridays of Lent, a plenary indulgence, which is a removal of all temporal punishment for our sins by the power of the Lord Jesus, all this is removed if we offer the prayer before a crucifix after receiving Holy Communion on the Fridays of Lent. And that means that we also have to fulfill the other conditions, which is to pray for the Pope to go to confession within eight days, receive Holy Communion within eight days, uh, and so on. And we cannot have any attachment to sin. So we have to really desire the love of God. We can't be addicted, we could say, or or connected, attached to any particular sin. Mm-hmm. And we pray for the Pope, receive Holy Communion, go to confession within eight days of the Friday. And on that Friday, we pray the prayer before the crucifix. And then we can receive this plenary indulgence. And what's great about the Fridays of Lent, and we really want to stress this in light of some of our other shows, is that that plenary indulgence can be offered for ourselves, or it can be offered for a soul in purgatory, great. which is a great act of charity, a great alms mm-hmm. that we can give uh, during the Lenten season. That is, that is a great alms. And, Father, I want to point out a lot of people probably get a little scared thinking, well, there's no way on earth I could ever have um, detachments from sin. Detachment is not a feeling. It's, a, it's, it's an act of the will. So uh, as much as we could possibly will it, we don't have to feel that we're detached from sin, <laughs> but we got to want it with all our hearts. We have to will it. Uh, even though we know we're still so inclined, but it's not the inclination, but it's the the desire to be free from that, and it can really truly be willed if we if we put our all into it and with God's Absolutely. grace. Absolutely, and I think that that's such a, such a important point because otherwise people just fall into despair. So I can never be completely attached, you know, by affection or or desire to this sin, you know, and 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 they're right. Our, our fallenness that is just the state in which we're at. But that act of the will where I, I will not desire with all my heart this sin. I do not desire that sin. I desire the love of God more than I do this sin or any sin. And that's really all that's necessary. And someone might ask, well, what about that prayer in front of the crucifix? Do I have to say an exact prayer? And actually, yes, the, the prayer, there is a set prayer for in front of the crucifix. But once again, we see this incredible love on the part of the church. If someone doesn't have the prayer or can't say the prayer, they lost the prayer, any prayer from the heart in front of a crucifix on Fridays of Lent is sufficient. Wow. And that's just amazing. That's how generous the church is and how much she really wants us to take this season seriously and grow in grace before God and humanity. Before we wrap up this half of the show, I just want to remind our listeners, if they're interested, they can do a Google search for Station Churches, and I have done this, and you can click on each day, and you can see a picture of the church, you can see whose relics are are there at the church, they talk about the martyrs there and how they died, just all the history of the church, and it's very interesting, and, and so our listeners can follow through the 40 days of Lent and, and take that walk if they're interested. 
So on the second half of our show, we are going to be talking about Pope Benedict's message for Lent. So we hope you'll join us again for the second half of Pathways to Rome. You're listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrix radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. If you would like to listen to this show again, our previous broadcast of Pathways to Rome, visit our website, www.catholicradionsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrix Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrix Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. Put the power of video to work for you. Whether it's a short marketing presentation or an hour-long training video, turn to the Emmy Award-winning experts at Extreme Vision Studios. Present your message clearly and concisely. Video allows you to produce your image and gives you a professional look that shines. Call Extreme Vision Studios today for a free consultation. The number is 864-590-9970. That number again is 864-590-9970. Extreme Vision Studios, proud sponsor of South Carolina Catholic Radio. Polydex Screen Corporation, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, was founded in Spartanburg in 1978 to manufacture and market modular synthetic screen media in North America, serving the gold, copper, phosphate, and aggregate industries. Polydex strives to honor God in all they do. Their phone number is 864-579-4594. They're also on the web at www.polydexscreen.com. St. Anthony's Catholic Store, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, offers books on apologetics, spirituality, theology, and church history to assist adults and children in their faith formation. They also provide sacred vessels, vestments, and hand-carved statuary to parishes and maintain an inventory of baptismal, communion, confirmation, and wedding gifts. For more information about this family-owned business located at 443C Congaree Road near Haywood Mall, John or Judy can be reached at 864-288-0335. Thomas McAfee Funeral Home, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, has been serving the community since 1913. Offering personalized funeral and cremation services, they're committed to serving you and your family with dignity and respect. This family-owned business can be reached at their downtown chapel at 232-6733, or their Northwest Chapel at 294-6415, and they're on the web at www.thomasmcafee.com. AKJ Consulting, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, in cooperation with New Way Properties, utilizes years of experience to assist people in finding and acquiring affordable housing in the upstate. They also have a program to assist those in danger of going into foreclosure. For more information, David Case can be reached at 864-430-4877. That's 864-430-4877. 
There's a new way to get rid of an old car, truck, or gas guzzler. No matter what condition it is in, Catholic Charities will pick it up at home, office, or repair shop and handle all of the paperwork. Catholic Charities is a 501c3 not-for-profit entity associated with the Diocese of Charleston. For more information, Catholic Charities can be reached at 877-885-4483. That's 877-885-GIVE. Or reach them on the web at www.supportcatholiccharities.org. Priest for Life organizes a monthly rosary led by a priest or deacon of the Diocese of Charleston every third Saturday in each month. Members from local parishes gather to pray the rosary from 8 to 9 a.m. at the West Ashley Abortion Facility located at 1312 Ashley River Road. That's at the corner of Highway 61 and Fusler in Charleston. For further information, Stephen Boyle can be reached at 843-763-0681. In these challenging economic times, our taxes are probably going up. In Matthew 22, Jesus says to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So is it enough to be resigned and pay our taxes while giving our hearts to God? The real question is, how can we give to Caesar in such a way that transforms society for the good of the kingdom? What can we do with our resources and the taxes we pay to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and serve the least of our brothers that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25? Since after all, it's not our money. I'm Joe Galloway. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. And now we return to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Welcome back to the second half of our show, Pathways to Rome. In this segment of the show, we're going to be talking about Pope Benedict's message for Lent. And the title of his letter to the faithful is, The Justice of God Has Been Manifested Through Faith in Jesus Christ. And that's from Romans chapter 3. Father, what are your thoughts on this recent message from the Pope? You know, Kathy, what's amazing is, you know, every year the Holy Father issues his Latin message, and, and what he does with this message is he tries to find some aspect in the Church's life or in our common Christian discipleship that he thinks needs to be emphasized. And so the fact that the Holy Father chose what what some would argue is such a basic theme to the Christian religion really shows how serious the Holy Father takes this question of justice, which is fulfilled in, in faith in Jesus Christ. And really he calls us back, as we were talking about in the first segment, he calls us back to this basic understanding of our Christian discipleship, that the Lord is resurrected, that he has destroyed the kingdom of sin and death, that we share in that victory over sin and death by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is using this Lenten season to call all Catholics, all Christians, really to the heart of our faith, that the justice of God is fulfilled by faith in Jesus Christ. And what a powerful way for the Pope to summon us to observe this Lenten season. I'd say in reading the Holy Father's message, uh, it's so beautiful. And the Holy Father, while he can be so deep and profound, he's also very applicable 
he wants us to understand what he's saying. And, and I particularly love the part in his message where he talks about typically defined justice as, as giving a person their due. But he says, where do we understand a person's due? Mm-hmm. How do we know what a person deserves? And he said, we have to go to God. We have to go to the love of God because only the love of God can give the person his due. What a beautiful way to explain justice and salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, Kathy, I know that you've read the Latin message and, and, and we've all looked at it and, and prepared for this show. What are some things that, that jumped out for you in, in the message? Well, basically, you know, he talks about the distributive justice and how we need to take care of the poor and feed the hungry and clothe the naked. And and like you said, Father, you know, it's so applicable for right now, especially with the economic crisis the way it is. But he's saying man needs more than the bread and the water and and um, those distributive needs that we hand out. He needs God above all. And that's the biggest thing that we need to do is our biggest mission is to spread the love of God and spread this out to the world as well as the food and the water. That quote from St. Augustine at the very beginning notes, you know, if justice is that virtue which gives everyone his due, where then is the justice of man when he deserts the true God? So a lot of people like to say, oh, I, I deserve it. You know, you deserve to be rich. You deserve to be important and all that. But do we really deserve it? What do we deserve? And what do we owe? What does God deserve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I think, too, Gus, like you're saying, that so oftentimes in our society, we really have these idols that we call, you know, independence, radical autonomy, mm-hmm. self-sufficiency, you know, that, that we almost glorify, you know, these things in our culture. We glorify people who we think uh, epitomize uh, these realities and and so on. And here, the Pope is calling us back to the teaching of Jesus Christ that, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. There you go. And all these things will be added, you know, and and it's a radical message because it really shows that act of faith. It means walking through that desert that the Holy Father mentioned on Ash Wednesday, that we have to walk through that desert and we have to trust. Now, it doesn't mean we're irresponsible, that we're imprudent, but it means that we realize that our sufficiency is not found in ourselves. Yes. We have to God. Yeah. And another thing, in his letter, he talks about our idea of justice and then divine justice. And he takes justice and turns our understanding of justice, giving every man his due, completely upside down because he says, you know, what kind of justice is there when a just man, Jesus, dies for the guilty and then the guilty receives in return the blessings due the just one? And And it just doesn't make sense. Our idea of justice is that, yes, we're sinners. Yes, we should die for our sins. Yes, we should be punished. And yet Jesus came and turned that whole idea of justice upside down with divine justice. And that just blew me away. I never really understood the concept of divine justice. Such a life-changing reality. It Mm -hmm. is. It really is. Let that truth fit, and it has to change you. Yes, Definitely. Um, A very wise priest once said to me, even if he was the only sinner on the whole world, and this priest is talking about himself, that Jesus still would have died on the cross just for me. And that really hit home with me. And Mm -hmm. I have meditated on that so much. And every consecration that I'm at, every Mass during the consecration, I think of that and I meditate on that. And when I receive communion, majority of the time, I'm going to communion with 
my eyes swelled up with tears. And then I had another priest say to me, Kathy, why do you always come to communion in tears? You should come to communion in joy. <laughs> but it is that gratitude and, and gratefulness. And, and that's what brings me to tears is that, that gratefulness for the divine justice. Well, that's a tremendous grace, Kathy. I can, I can tell her, her, her eyes are lighting <laughs> up and she's, I mean, that, that's a, that's a great story there. And that's how we should all. Mm-hmm. Uh, attend mass, you know. We should we should be there, focused with the, with our whole attention on the fact that you know we're back at Calvary, yeah. and we're we're back at the the one sacrifice that Christ offered, and he that sacrifice is is almost like a perpetual sacrifice that that is made present again in the mass. And, and like you say, when you realize it, it's just an awesome thing. If I were the only sinner in the world, he would. He, he would have done, done it, it for, me. for you, Gus. He, yeah, he doesn't do it in half measures. <laughs> just add your name there because yep, yep, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I think is beautiful in this discussion is every Lent, uh, obviously we have a, a rotating cycle of readings, but every Lent there's always a reading of the Transfiguration. And just as we're talking, I, I'm just thinking of, of that scene in, in the life of the Lord Jesus where he was caught up and we saw a glimpse mm. of his divinity and it says Moses and Elijah stood with him, and they spoke about the way in which he would die. It was in a sense of this kind of prophecy of his passion and death. And after that powerful scene, Peter, Lord, he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Mm-hmm. That's all he could say. Yeah. It is good that we are here. And I think that same type of humility, that same type of docility, of gratitude, should really fill our hearts throughout this Lenten season that it's so generous and good a master has lived and died for us that he offers us his friendship you know that he's not only lord and teacher but he's also friend and companion he's shepherd and he wants to be with us and that is beautifully made real at every mass as we're discussing there on the altar the lord is coming say hey i want to be with you i want to be with you because you mean so much to me during one of my uh, my meditations on scripture the other day father that very same Peter who said, Lord, it's good to be here. I looked at the kind of the first things he said to Jesus when he was called. And he and Jesus says, now go out and, and go fishing. And Peter says, well, we've been out all night, but we'll do it for you, Lord. And they catch all the fish. And what does Peter say? He goes, Lord, get away from me. Leave me. I'm a sinful man. I almost started weeping there. I'm like, mm-hmm. St. Peter realizes I am so sinful. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. That was his, yeah. his first, I'm like, wow. What, what I love about that scene is that is one of the few requests ever refused by the Lord Jesus. <laughs> wow, that's a good one to have yeah. have had refused. He doesn't want to leave us, you know. He will not. Right. Get away from me, Lord. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Jesus says, no. Yep. No. Mm. No. And you're like, you're right, Gus. You take that exclamation of, of unworthiness, of, of awareness. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And you look at Peter later in mm. Jesus' public ministry, Lord, it is good that we are here. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of what is offered to each of us in the Lord Jesus. And that's what we're called back to, what the Holy Father is calling us back to during this Lenten season. Realize what we each have received, what yes. is ours, what has been won for us. It's so great a price. What are we doing with it? Yeah. What are we doing with it? 
the greatest gift is forgiveness. And talking about St. Peter, I read in a commentary on Scripture about the three times that Peter denied Christ. And, of course, um, the commentary there, commentary there says that, you know, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And he says, of course, I love you. And then feed my sheep, then tend my sheep, and and so on. But also at the at the bottom of that commentary, it said there's a tradition in in the Catholic Church that Saint Peter's sin was always before him and that every morning when he woke up and heard the cock crow, he would be brought to tears. You know, it said he went and wept bitterly and I yes. and I remember in, in in The Passion of the Christ, the movie that came out about six, five, six years ago. It really shows him weeping, and actually in the movie, uh, it's not in Scripture, but in the movie he, he goes to Mary and, and kind of pours his heart out. I remember when that movie came out, We watched, it came out during Lent, I believe, just before Easter, and, and watched it. And I thought that was a powerful way to really have it hit home what our sins did to our Lord and how much love he had. That's that, that's one thing, going back to the practices we do, is we always try to watch the passion of the Christ during the uh, the Lenten season. Yeah, I wish we all had that sensitivity, <laughs> you know, where we could approach, you know, such a beautiful sacrifice and literally see it, that this was a bloody sacrifice in order to fulfill the breaking of the covenant, in order to establish the new and eternal covenant. I wish that each of us, I, I'm afraid sometimes that it, we just get so desensitized. We see crosses everywhere. We hear right. about the passion. We and we can just move on with our lives. But uh, to hear this story is beautiful. And I think Lent is a great time to kind of retrieve that sensitivity. I think the Holy Father's message echoes that. That to realize what He's done, what He continues to do for us, what He wants to do in each of our lives. Uh, that's the challenge. Yeah, are we going to let Him work? But if we're going to hold on to that self-sufficiency, we're going to hold on to that independence. God cannot work. Yeah. Right. God cannot work. And you know, there's so many people that I know that have left the church and say they don't need religion, that they don't need the church, they don't need the sacraments, they don't need forgiveness. And in reality, these are good people. I mean, they have they come from good families, they work hard, they, you know, do good things. But I, they're just missing the whole point. They don't have the humility to accept that they need God and that they need his friendship, that they need to be in communion with the church and with other Christians. And that's what St. Augustine was saying when he refers to, um, but where is the justice of man when he deserts his true God? That's what they're doing. They're deserting their true God and not giving him the justice he deserves, which is coming back to him, you know. I think that we all know people who, uh, this is always kind of comical, but uh, people who always think that I don't need God, I don't need God. And meanwhile, we know this person and, and we see their lives and, and they think that they're just perfect and they think that everything's fine. Meanwhile, everyone around them is like, man, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's so impatient. He's such a, you know, moron. And all these people are thinking about this thing. And this guy thinks he's wonderful and he's perfect, you know. And those of us with faith say, you know, if only you would be open to faith. How much God could change you? Yes. But they don't think they have to change. Yeah. They think they're all right. Living living in family life or uh, in religious community or whatever, other people are bound to uh, hold a hold a mirror up to you. But if if you know you can refuse to look at it, but it's hard to be humble because of course we're very proud and humility is simply truth, admitting what we really are before God. I mean, only only Mary truly 
you know, knew what she was before God yeah. and, and thus could say things like all generations will call me blessed. And, mm-hmm. and that was the most humble statement, you know, oh, for yes. us. For, you know, if I were to say that, that would be the, the height <laughs> of arrogance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, going back to St. Augustine, I mean, the confessions of St. Augustine, it was a mirror to my soul. And I, I had a choice there. I had a choice to keep reading this and accept what was going on. The fact that God is saying, you, you've messed up. This is what your life kind of looks like right now. Where I could have, I remember at a very critical moment, I could have said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I can't deal with this, this humiliation, this embarrassment, this knowing of what I really am before God. It's like Adam and Eve, they knew they were naked and all of a sudden they feel shame. You know, we, we hide from the shame. We try to, we try to cover it up. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what is, what is powerful, Gus, is I'm reminded, Gus, as you speak, that that beautiful image as you're speaking about of the divine mercy. And, and I have to tell you, whenever I go to confession, and, and I never planned it this way, but whenever I go to confession and I hear the words of absolution, that is the image that always comes to my mind. Mm. And I just imagine those rays just shooting through my soul, my personhood, mm-hmm. and just cleaning up by the grace of God. And I'm always moved by the fact that the first saint of the 21st century, on purpose, it was planned, that the first saint would be St. Faustina, the Apostle of Divine Mercy. Mm. And Pope John Paul II said, after a century of tears, a century that saw two world wars, that saw so many martyrs for the faith, he says, after a century of tears, we turn to the Divine Mercy. And that Mm. is something that should resonate. Even ten years after the Great Jubilee, we should remind ourselves of this truth of the Divine Mercy, that it is open to us, it can change us, it can make us into what we want to be, that person that we would be without grace, that person goes away. St. Paul says the old man passes away, and God wants to bring out the new man. Mm-hmm. And if, he will if we let his grace work. And now throughout our show, we're talking about Lent and, and about purification, about penance. And that's the goal, is to let the justice of God manifest itself in faith in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's no surprise also that Divine Mercy Sunday is the Sunday after Easter, correct? Right. It is. So and after the death and resurrection day. is the Divine Mercy. Well, and, and, you know, I think ever since that feast came out, we've pretty much incorporated the, the chaplet of Divine Mercy. It's very easy to say, mm-hmm. very, very quick, but it's like a, a mini rosary. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Uh, it's so quick and, and easy to say, but it's it's a great devotion, um, especially around the, the 3 o'clock hour. It's a, it's a powerful way to meditate on the, the mercy of God. Some time ago I asked uh, some high school kids, I said, uh, have you heard about the Divine Mercy chapter? They said, oh, yes. I was kind of surprised. I said, oh, and they said, oh, yeah, we pray it. And I'm like, that is great. And I'm like, yeah, it's shorter than the rosary. <laughs> <laughs> Typical teenager, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But you know what? Imagine what God can do just by their openness. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're praying. Sure. Sure, of course. Well, Father, so, one thing that's interesting, and this is a little bit off well, it's not off topic, but it's going back a ways. In today's reading from Isaiah, he says, This rather is the fasting that I wish. Mm-hmm releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them, not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. 
Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. Yeah, that was powerful. I heard that today. And so (laughs) do good. This is, you know, what the Lord is asking us to do. And, And, you know, Kathy, the great thing about what you've just read, and, and, you know, the great St. Jerome, the great biblical scholar, the, the one who translated the Bible from Greek to Latin, he was the one who said all of the gospel can be seen in prophetic form in the prophet Isaiah. Hmm. Yes. And Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, mm-hmm. he quotes Isaiah. He quotes portions of what you've just read, and, and mm-hmm. Jesus says, today in your hearing, yes. this has been fulfilled. Yeah, that that gives you goosebumps, huh? It does. <laughs> How powerful that would be if you were expecting the Messiah, and all of a sudden you hear someone say, this has just been fulfilled. <laughs> the reading really talks about not being hypocritical and not just doing fasting and, and prayers, but really getting to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. You know, What I thought of there is St. Paul says, what good is it if I do this and that and give my body to be burned if I don't have charity? Yes. You know, Same here. What, what's the point of all this fasting and all if, if, if we don't? Yeah. Do precisely hear what Isaiah tells us. Do the works and do it with love. Absolutely. And I think the Lord Jesus says that at every Mass. I think he says it in our hearts every day, especially in this Lenten season. The Lord tells us again, today in your hearing, this passage has been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Do you know the kingdom of God is at hand? Like here, we are able to encounter the kingdom of God, which is the Lord Jesus. We're able to see the fulfillment of all these prophecies that that those who are, who are enslaved are free, those who are blind see, those who are deaf hear. We can see that if we let ourselves. I think so oftentimes as Christians, we have this powerful inheritance, and we just sit on it. Yeah. yeah. And the psalmist says, awake, O sleeper, awake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then the Pope finishes up so beautifully his letter where he says, Lent culminates in the Paschal Tritium, in which this year we too celebrate divine justice, the fullness of charity, gift, salvation. And then he goes on to say that this penitential season be for every Christian a time of authentic conversion and intense knowledge of the mystery of Christ. I'd say maybe one thing that could be helpful to our listeners is, you know, we've been talking a lot about discipleship and encountering the Lord and and the justice of God and faith in Jesus Christ and Maybe we can go back to discussing some of the practicals in, in Lent, as far as maybe a Lent in the past that has moved us in a particular way, or an encounter, or an act of faith that we made at difficult times or times of, of decision. And, and maybe we can share some some of those practical graces, so that especially our listeners can kind of see what we're talking about. Do either of you have a situation or a story that you might want to talk about? Um, I just know that when when we moved to South Carolina, um, one of the reasons we moved here was for economic reasons. One of my businesses was not doing so well. So we were going through some tremendous financial hardship. And I remember I reached a point at one point where I just completely let go. And I realized I'm going to stop stressing about this. God knows what he's doing. And I completely let go. And I just remember it was such a grace thinking it was going back to the lilies of the field and God takes care of them and, and the sparrow, et cetera. If he's, if he's concerned about them, he's concerned about you. Uh, it wasn't necessarily during Lent, but it was a very kind of Lenten, harsh experience. A wilderness. But, yeah, it was a wilderness. <laughs> it was. Um, certainly my wife would agree, and that was very harsh and very hard. 
but I certainly, I, I, I so strongly felt the grace of God realizing, you know, our Father is taking care of us even during this time and for, for people listening during these tough economic times. Well, the only thing that I can really think of um, that really stands out, and, and I only think of it now because I have been reviewing it and we're going to try and do it again, but I work a lot with the youth and our new priest has asked um, the youth to do a Youth Stations of the Cross and about... I guess six years ago now, we did it, obviously, during Lent with a group of teenagers. And you know from working with teenagers, Father, they fool around and carry on the whole time, and you think this thing is going to be horrible. But when it counts and when the moment is there, (laughs) they pull it out of the hat. And I was watching the video the other day because our priest wanted to see it, and I was moved to tears by the by the teenagers doing this passion of our Lord and how sensitive they were and how just beautiful their expressions were. The soldiers were excellent. The women were crying and it was just beautiful. And they put it on for all the um, classes in our church and it was so powerful. And just even now looking back at it again, it is very powerful. And so that is what we are going to do again this year with our teens, and and hopefully they'll pull it out again. <laughs> well, and Father, before we finish, do you, do you have any uh, final remarks? I always think of Ash Wednesday, I think just because it is such a stark observance and beginning of, of Lent. But it seems almost every Ash Wednesday, including uh, this past Ash Wednesday, where I just look at my life, and, and perhaps it's a special grace or... You know, it's just, again, the observance of that day where, you know, I just look and, and I just feel always this renewed call to, you know, come follow me. The Lord says again, come follow me. And uh, implicit in that is, okay, don't follow yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Don't follow this world. Don't, but just uh, that beautiful, empowering invitation to, to come follow me. Yeah. And, and that's what stands out, I think, for me, especially every time I, I think of Lent. But uh, I think for all our listeners, Lent is such an invitation to anyone who does not believe in God but has questions. Lent is a time to begin to ask those questions and to really look for answers. For those who have the faith but maybe have not invested or who have backslid or who have weakened in faith, Lent is a time to reassess. It's a time to, once again, let the Lord work in our hearts. To those who have taken the faith seriously and are, and are struggling and, and are carrying the crosses, Lent is a time of great consolation, a time of renewal, a time to re-encounter Jesus who wants to walk with each one of us. Each of these invitations exist at Lent. So Lent's a time of great hope. And I just want us to particularly end our show today on Lent with that message of hope, that the Lord is with us, that he wants to work, and the Lord can work and do a marvelous deed in each of us uh, if we allow him. Thank you, Father. Well, you've been listening to Pathways to Rome, and we've been talking about Lent, the Holy Father, Ash Wednesday, and uh, Father Kirby's joining us from Rome. With that, we wish to bid our listeners adieu. And Father, could you please give us your blessing? Yes. The Lord be with you. And also with with you. you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrix radio production. 
and can be heard weekly at this time. For more information about this show, or if you would like to listen to previous broadcasts, visit our website, www.catholicradioinsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com.